Welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. Today we're having a bit of a discussion on this idea of the charge that we are given in once we realize our identity. And Brian, you had mentioned in the last episode a charge that Timothy was given, and I'd hope you'd go into a little more detail on what that looks like and what that is. Yeah, Paul was given uh, Timothy many charges, the first and second Timothy. And when I said they're hard, it's not that the, the content is impossible to do. It's just impossible to do in your old nature. So there had to be something that, cor- that uh, caused a connection and, and a desire. But more importantly, it was the Spirit of God working through Timothy. So Paul wasn't saying, Timothy, you need to go do this. Paul was saying, Timothy, this is who you are. Let this happen through you. So let me just read this charge that was given to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 through 7. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's our platform piece. So the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust, to leave a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Paul says, by the grace of God, I work more than you all, but I don't work in me. I work by the grace of God. So it was the grace of the positioning, the inheritance, the resources, the, the new identity that was given through grace. This is the thing that was working through Paul. That's why he can be a branch and the fruit grows on the end because he's, or excuse me, he can be a branch of the vine because the fruit's just growing through. So, um, verse three goes, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound fun to everybody? Hey, just so you know, you got to go endure hardship as a good soldier. Then he goes on, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And I want to I highlight those two. He goes on to talk about the athlete cannot be crowned unless he competes according to the, the rules and the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in these things. So in other words, he's telling Timothy to really ponder these three concepts, these three roles, and, and God will give you understanding, and it's going to give you a clear picture of how to do this. But let's go back to no one engaged in warfare. And I think we, as we were discussing earlier, the charge has no real value unless there's a conflict, an event, an opposition to what you are that you're going to be facing. So if there's no opposition, if there's no conflict you're going into, who cares about a charge? It's like, it's like a soccer player. I train them and I train them and I train them. And they're like, coach, do we ever play a game? No, we're never going to be playing a game because we don't really have any opponents. We're just practicing hard. Well, after a while, I'm only going to get them. They're going to just want to look to have some fun. Hey, can we just have fun coach? Can we just have fun? And we're going to look for the fun pleasure things because there's no purpose behind the training. Exactly. And there's there's also a trophy at the end. There's something to be fought for. There's something to win there. And that adds value to the charge. I've got a friend who's a a runner and he and his wife were at our our house this weekend. And he's told me that on Saturday morning he was going to get up and run a, a short 10 or 15 miles, whatever he was feeling at the time. And I thought that was a really terrible idea. And he kind of jokingly asked if I wanted to go with him because he knows that I am not a runner. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm not a runner. It's just not what I do. So the idea of running 10 miles seems like a terrible thing for me. If a trainer comes to me and says, you need to run 10 miles, that's going to be a law put on me that I resist. I I want no part of that. 
I might figure out a way to do it if I'm compelled enough and if I'm given some kind of punishment maybe or maybe some kind of reward at the end, I might figure out a way to complete the task, but it's not going to be in my heart to do. It's not a charge that I want to engage with, so my heart's not going to be in it. I'll resist it. If a trainer comes to my friend and says, you need to run 10 miles, he'll say, okay, great. I was planning on doing that today anyways. It's not a big deal for him because he's a runner. That's what he does. He's run marathons before. That's just what he does. So the charge looks different to you based on your identity and how you see yourself and who you truly are. So that's why it's so crucial to not just look at this charge from your father without knowing the identity, without having that position in grace that you are set in. And we were talking a little bit before about how this charge comes from a position of grace and your identity. But sometimes we don't see grace as having something to do with the charge. Grace is almost seen as the opposite of a charge to some of us because grace is freedom from responsibility for some of us. Grace, I think you mentioned one of the definitions being uh, an unmerited favor, which kind of leaves you in this place of an open field of endless possibilities and rest and relaxation. But how does a charge actually come from that? My son was, we went rock climbing last night. I say we, uh, actually he was the one doing the rock climbing. So I was cheering <laughs> on and we, it, we go to this indoor gym and he was up, he was getting ready to go up the rope and I was asking him, and he goes, hey, Dad, I'm going to do the rope today. And so it's probably about three stories climb. Eh, maybe that's a little too high. It's about 25 feet is the rope. And so he goes, and he's getting ready to get on. He says, you know, Dad, I saw this quote. Don't do look for what's easy. Do what's hard. So I'm going up the rope. And I thought it was kind of cool. Him, him, He was kind of bringing this charge, and he was serious that I'm like, that's really cool. So that was by John F. Kennedy when we were getting ready to go to the moon. And I, and he didn't know where it came from. He just, it just resonated with him. And I, and I was asking him, I go, why don't you do what's easy? He goes, I can never be strong if I do what's easy. But see, he loves rock climbing. He loves doing it, man. He just, he challenges himself. He loves pushing himself. It, it's, it's kind of become the thing that he want that, that he enjoys. It's his different differentiation of the thing that he of what he is. And so he'll give himself to it. And I think it's interesting that if I were to take him to another sport that he doesn't like and say, Hey, do what's hard. And he's like, dude, I'm doing what's easy. Cause I don't like doing this. Like he, he'll look for another, <laughs> another way. <laughs> Cause I don't want to do this. And so I think there's two parts. One, there has to be this relationship with the person that's giving the charge to, or relationship with the, with the, 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 uh, it could be an organization like a Navy SEAL, like there's a reputation. I want to be a part of that. So, so once you get that, there's something that you, that you trust and you're willing to do because you respect that, that, uh, either that organization or the person, but how much mm -hmm. better when your father, when you respect and you love your father and David knows we've talked about this kind of thing. Hey, you got to choose the hard thing because the easy thing is going to hurt you in the long run. If you do the hard thing, then you get to enjoy the easy thing. And so mm -hmm. he's kind of adapted a lot of this thought, but now it's his. And I loved it how he owned that whole idea, but it, it came from one, our relationship, but how much more with our father, when we trust him, that he's for us, he's behind us. He has got our back. 
now we're endeared to him. And when we walk in his name and his inheritance, we got to have a charge. But then we got to remember this other part. There is a warfare. There is a massive resistance that you're going up against. The enemy's been defeated from keeping you from becoming a son of God and the inheritance and the kingdom. The enemy can't keep you from that anymore. But now we're here on this earth influencing and coming against a system that the enemy had put into place that we're battling against every day. And so if we don't recognize there is a warfare, we won't really understand the purpose of the charge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. And that's, that's why, why every runner trains when they're entering a race, too. too. You're, you're not, not going to train unless you have someone you're competing against. against. If, if I have to run a mile, I'll just do it at my own pace and I'll finish it when I finish it. But if there's a goal and something at the end and there's other people running towards it, then I've got to make sure I train in order to beat them. And it's the same way in the SEALs. The SEALs don't just train so that they can get a fancy uniform. They train because there's an enemy that has to be fought and overcome. That there's still a battle, there's still a war going on. And they have to not only be prepared for that, but be prepared to win it. And so then the charge comes in. The the hell week that they go through, really the whole purpose of the hell week is to strip out what they were to take on something new. So they can really discover what they really are. So it's 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 causing in a military sense, in a soldier sense, it's causing the real soldier to emerge. And I think this is why Paul was saying, consider the soldier. The soldier, if you look through even scripture, every time the centurion was brought up, there's like six different places, this a centurion, a different one, emerges in scripture. And it's like they connect mm-hmm. with God. They, they understand his righteousness. They understand his authority. They understand these things almost better than any other believer does. Because they understand doing something on behalf of somebody else. They understand living for something bigger than yourself. And so to them, it was almost like a no-brainer. Once they saw it, oh, I get it. And I think that's kind of a a neat metaphor. And for us, in a spiritual sense, when you look at the warfare we're in, because we've all heard our war is not against flesh and blood, it's against the powers, principalities of this world and all that, there is an actual war that we have to fight and be part of. In fact, you see more often in the New Testament this idea of being prepared and being free to fight in that war, not that the battle is completely over. I mean, we have this idea the enemy's been defeated, and there's a context to that, and we'll probably talk about that more another time. But what you see more often is things like, we have been freed from that kingdom and been allowed to come into a new one. So it's not that there is no more enemy. It's not that there is no more battle. It's not that there is no more reason to train. It's that now you've been put in a position where you can fight and you can become a son and you can walk into that. And I think that's a really big difference for us because without understanding that, then the charge almost seems meaningless, to be honest. I mean, why is God giving me a charge if there's, if there's not something that has to be overcome that hasn't yet been overcome? And if you receive a charge, but it's not something that's, that you can connect with, you're not really a part, you have no relationship to, it is legalism. It's how, I, it's how right. it, we, we live in a world where if people don't abide by everyone's thought process, if we don't agree with you, then we try to oppress and put a different thought on and force a conformity to someone else's idea. That's called slavery. So it's, mm-hmm. it's constantly going on. And again, I, I, to really understand this walking out, you can really see this in Martin Luther King Jr. He lived by a creed. 
He lived by a set of values um, that could be modeled in the end of his life. That's why things were changed, because it wasn't about him, but he understood the warfare that he was in. And I think Paul talks about, um, he, Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, 8, yet indeed I count also, lo- excuse me, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung that I may win Christ and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so he's, he's talking about the letting go, and he counts everything of his old way of thinking, his old imagery of how life looks, his old thought process. This is what a soldier, right? You're going through, and you're transitioning into a new life. That's the suffering. And that is where the greatest resistance of the enemy is, because once you make that transition point, the enemy doesn't know what to do. What do you do to with a man that's completely committed to something else? What do you do to a soldier that loses its own, his own life for the sake of the na- for his partner next to him? You, how, how do you how do you break the morale when he's not living for himself anymore? You can't because he's going to fight for the guy next to you. And so that's when an enemy becomes very scared. What the enemy wants is a bunch of people thinking about themselves and their own self-interest. Now I can scatter. Now I can break them up. And now I can go, which is why Gideon only had 300 men, because it was the only men that were, th- were not fearful and they didn't think about themselves. I think you see that in Jesus when he comes down from the garden, like you had mentioned in the last episode, too. He doesn't come down and confront the soldiers like he's afraid or timid of what they're about to do. Which, if you think about it, we kind of take for granted. Like, okay, great, Jesus walked in all this confidence. But think of the dynamics of what must have been going on there. These soldiers, these tough men that had arrested people, probably fought with violent people before, are coming to arrest someone. And he's not timid about admitting, yeah, that's me. I mean, think of think of them confronting that. When, when the enemy comes at you, the normal response is fear or his timidness or is okay how is this all going to shake out but when jesus confronts that with complete confidence and says i am that disarms the enemy that makes them shrink down to where you said they couldn't even stand which shows a completely different power i mean imagine if we started approaching circumstances that way not from oh man i don't know how this thing at at work is going to shake out or i don't know how this issue with with my cousin is going to work out in our family but to walk into confidence and see the opposition just melt. So let's put this into uh, a reality. So when Jesus comes down, he rustles in the garden over this idea. What's he doing? He's suffering because he, he learned natural ways of doing things. He had to live in this natural earth. So he's understanding how we felt of we're, we, we grow up in this type of world. We see it. Every, mm-hmm. Our imagery is this type of way of doing things. This is how you handle something. And so it says he experienced everything that we experienced. He was tempted in every way as we were tempted so he could be an example to us. So he had to come to this and he walked in the authority of his name and who he was because he battled that in the, in the wilderness. Now he knows who he is. Now he's hitting the, the real ownership of the charge. The ultimate purpose that he was put on this earth was to pay the price for us so that way we could come into him. That was the ultimate end. I'm going to go lower than you could ever go to bring you up to the higher place, the upward mm-hmm. call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's wrestling with this, but what the wrestle isn't God ordering him. He's not like 
God's angry at him saying, you're going to do this. No, I'm not. You're going to do this. No, I'm not. It, it wasn't right. that kind of conversation. It was the father being with him and Jesus coming to the point, is there any other way? No, son, there's no, there's no other way, but I see it in you. I will resurrect you. What we're going to do at the end, we're going to call all these sons to glory that you can say, for the joy that is set before me, I endured the cross, despising the shame. And, God, and the Father was instilling the joy of the results of the charge. And Jesus sweated great drops of blood over this. And it wasn't just the physical pain that he was going to go through. It was this separation from this relationship. And so he absorbs it and says, okay. I'm going to do your will. Then when he comes down, it's his will. See, when you mm -hmm. truly come into agreement with the will of God, it's yours now. So you're no longer saying God's making me do it. That's a law. I want to do it. It's mine. You're coming into an agreement. So when he says, I am he, the soldiers couldn't stand in the presence of that authority. And I like it too, because even in one of the other books, it's, it's, it's uh, Peter pulls out a sword and slices off the one guy's ear. And Jesus grabs right. the ear, sticks it back on. He's in total control of this whole thing. Like this thing could have gone crazy. He could have called down angels from heaven. Even Pontius Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to what the power I have to do? And he goes, no, you don't. Yeah, I don't have any more power than what the father says you have. <laughs> but he was in agreement with the father. So I, I want you to see the power of the charge against the enemies and the forces of darkness around you. You're actually in control and surrendering yourself. You're truly serving other people because you're in control of that situation. And to be able to relate to that and not have it just be something that Jesus did and we observe. Because I'm sure all of us are familiar with the maybe a hesitation or a struggle with knowing and feeling that this charge is on your heart. Knowing it's something you're supposed to go do and you, you do want to do but you see the difficulty and how, how much pain it could bring. And there's a hesitation there. And Jesus felt that too. And it, it's not that he's separate from those feelings, but he came to that place and said, not my will, but yours be done. And even that, a lot of times, at least in my experience, I would look at that and I'd say, okay, well, not my will, but yours, God, and then kind of leave it there. To where now it's, okay, God, if you're going to do something here, you're sovereign up there, so you're going to either make something happen or not something happen. But I was still disconnected from the whole process there. Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He, he says, not my will, but yours be done. And then he adopts the Father's will as his, as his own and takes the step and walks it out. So as much as we are meant to relate to Jesus, and like you mentioned before, he's, he's felt our pain. He's endured what we've endured. He's meant to be an example for us that we can walk in those steps too because we've been given the spirit that he walked in. So now we can actually take that next step too and adopt the Father's will and then go through it and say, I am this. Now let's go. And, and a lot of the charge isn't a charge. We have resistance in an enemy. That's why we're given a charge of how to function. But we're not just here to go fight an enemy. It's to obtain promises. When we, when we mm -hmm. walk into a promise, it destroys the power of the enemy because that's the one power he has over you. So Jesus being, you know, Abraham says, I believe in the God who raises the dead and calls those things that don't exist as though they do. Jesus is trusting in his father to be able to raise him back up. So again, right. 
What's the real battle? Is, is the battle against Satan? Or is the battle of trust that his father's promise would overcome what Satan had prepared or had planned or had the systems of this world had, had put into place thinking they could destroy him? And, I, you know, I, you have to go back to uh, the children of Israel leave, leaving Egypt. If we look at that picture from a, from a perspective of this charge, the children of Israel were given a name. I'm calling out my children. They were giving an inheritance. They were taken. They took everything literally. The gold and the silver was given to them uh, when they left Egypt. Mm-hmm. It says not one feeble person was among them. So there was no one sick. So everyone was either healed or something. So there was no sick among them. They had air conditioning by day, heat by night. They had all the resources. That's a pretty good inheritance, right? So everything they need to function. Then God fed them every day with fresh food, provided water out of a rock. I mean, man, they got it made. Plus they have all the miracles, the Red Sea parting and all this. Mm-hmm. But yet, so they had a name and they had an idea, they had an inheritance, but they couldn't accept the charge. So when they got mm-hmm. to the place of going in and they send the spies in, the spies come back to say, man, we could do this. So what are they doing? They're charging them. We could do this. They're big. They're giants. Yes. And now here's how great they're going to fall. And so they have that idea. But the children of Israel hated them for saying that because they looked at what they were. They didn't trust in the one who was giving this promise. So therefore, it became almost more burdensome to believe about going into the promised land than to go back to the slavery they just came from. Think about that for a minute. It was easier to go back to the slavery than to embrace the promise. That's where the charge almost becomes more stronger or harder to face than the law. But Caleb and Joshua had the spirit of God with them. So they saw it from an empowerment point of view, not from an I can't point of view, because they weren't looking at it. They were looking at it from their real, who they really were in their identity and inheritance the children of Israel were looking at it through their identity as Egyptian slaves with nothing. That's how they exactly. looked at a promise. That's why a charge be- can become burdensome. So you have to know who you are. You have to know what's been given to you. But without the charge, you never get the promise. You're stuck in the wilderness just wandering around. So you need all, all three of those components. Right. right. It's so much more difficult and probably even impossible for a slave to look at a charge of that magnitude, or I should say it this way. If a slave is trying to receive a charge that's given to a son, it won't work out. Like you just said, the Israelites had still seen themselves as slaves, trying to live out the charge of a son. And only two of those spies could adopt that new mindset. And to be fair, it's difficult when you've been living for generations as a slave to change into something different, to now think and walk and live as a free person. You know, if you've been if you've been working at McDonald's your entire life, it's tough to think like an entrepreneur right away. Even if that's on your heart to do, even if that's your call to do. It takes time to change your mindset. Your identity has changed. Like the Israelites, they their identity was changed. They were now free. They were the people of God. They were chosen. But it took them a while to get their minds wrapped around the fact that they had a role in fulfilling the charge and the promise of God. He wasn't just going to pick them up and throw them into the promised land and take care of the enemies for them. They had a role to fulfill in that. And I think sometimes that scares us, but it can also be inspiring. 
because a son wants to be part of the family business. Like you'd mentioned before, a soccer player wants to be in the game. You want to you want to participate in this knowing that you have what it takes to do so. And I think for a lot of us, we either don't know the charge we've been given or we don't think we have what it takes to carry it out. Well, and this comes back to the relationship with the father. So everything begins you got to go back to that initial point of the calling up of the father. The trust of the son to the father is the most critical component. So if, like, even if I wanted to, let's say Navy SEALs, just from a natural point of view, if I wanted to become a Navy SEAL, and I trusted the organization of the SEALs, and I saw it, and I saw the imagery, and I saw what those men were like, and I saw how they, they responded, and I became drawn to that, I'm trusting that group, that, that organization, even if they give me hard things to do and it seems like they don't care about me, but I still trust that thing. I, I still want to be a part of that. With, with this, it's even so much more, it's so much bigger and better. This is the father, so you have this relationship. And again, if we don't trust the relationship, which is why even David told Solomon, your first task is know God. Paul, in Philippians, to know him and the power of his resurrection. His first thing is, I forget those things that are behind, and I want to know him. So really, the suffering as a believer begins in this place of, I've had one view of life. I'm now born again. I just don't know. I can't see what my future looks like. So I'm going to trust you to begin opening my eyes to what I really am. So now scripture, that's why it's important to be around and listen to when people are talking about how much God loves you, his value over you, his grace over you, to be strong in that grace. Our anchor point has to become strong and anchored in the identity and his love and passion for us, because then the charge becomes a desire and we begin to own it. That is the Mm -hmm. critical point. So if you're looking at, so where do I begin with this? Everything of Christianity, all these rules, all this stuff, I don't even know where to begin. Know him. How do I know Mm -hmm. him? You're going to have to start building a relationship by show me what you look like in Scripture. Show me how you felt. Show me what you did. And it's his spirit begins working in you and revealing pictures and imagery of what good looks like, of what who you are looks like. And now all of a sudden that relationship and confidence starts working. And just like in David and Solomon, David told all the people of Israel, Solomon is immature at this. So you're going to have to support. I've already provided everything to work with him. Be patient Mm -hmm. with him. Work with him. Help him. He's immature in this, but he's growing into this role. And so I think that's, that's true with God and us. He knows where we're at when you're a child coming into something new. And he's, he wants you just to have a mind that can change. All right, Father, I used to do things a whole different way. It's not working anymore. So I'm opening my heart up to you. And you know what? He's faithful to bring people, uh, a, a, a story, something that begins going, that's what that looks like. See, when you're born again, you're not broken. You just don't know enough. Your vision hasn't been exposed. Your background knowledge is going to become new because we're forgetting what our old background knowledge was. 
and we're learning something new. So it's important that people know, so where do I begin with this? What about this charge? I'm not ready to go to battle. I can't even barely figure out my own life. I can't even count two plus two, and you want me to go, and (laughs) you have all this weight you're putting on me. Stop it, Brian. And I think that's where it's like, no, hold on. You have to know that there is codes of ethics that are written throughout Scripture, and we can try to Mm -hmm. deny them, and we could try to say they're not relevant. I think you're a fool to do that. The reason we come up with the ideology that they're not relevant to today is because we don't understand the spirit and position we are in when we are operating in them. So where does that mm-hmm. begin? We go back to knowing who our father is, who I am to him, who I who, who he is to me. What do I look like to him? And all of a sudden we start saying, Father, what do you want me to do? And all of a sudden we want to, we'll choose the harder way. Give me the hard road. Right. Give me the hard road. I want to come back to those to those codes and talk more about those and what we see in Scripture. But it made me think of the parable of the talents. I think it's in Matthew 25. They're really interesting about that. And there's there's so much to be said about that parable that, at least for me, I, I heard misunderstood or I misunderstood or heard misrepresented for a long time. But it's really interesting when you see that last servant he comes and says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. And when you're talking about knowing the Father, the problem with that last servant was not that he didn't get more money for the Master. It was that he knew the Master. I understood you or I looked at you or I viewed you as a hard man, and so I didn't do anything with it. Hmm. What he's really saying is, I see you as a hard person, and so I'm not doing anything with the gift you gave me. The other two servants accepted the gift and they let it change them to the point where they now became businessmen and they went out and they increased what they were given. That's the point of that parable. It's not, you better make sure that you're working hard enough and doubling what God gives you or he's going to take it away. It has nothing to do with that. It's about how do you know the Father and how do you know yourself? Have you let yourself be changed? And now... Once you accept that gift from the master, from your father, let it change you and walk out that charge. And you will see that you'll that you'll see things multiply. But I want to go back to those codes because it's, at least for me, for a long time, when I would think about what's the charge God has given me, what's the code, what's the creed, it was all very general. And for a while that's great and it works, but... If there's not something more specific, like you had mentioned before, specific people that had codes they lived by, like the Navy SEALs have a specific code that you that you read in the last episode. Martin Luther King Jr. had specific code that he lived by. Even people in the Old Testament, they had these codes. And so how can we get that into a practical application for us that's not just some spiritual, off-distant thing that, yeah, God's got a calling and a charge for my life. How do we make that work? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. tells this story um, that he's up on stage. There was someone from, uh, there was a white man up in the front row. He had like bib overalls on and just, he was not for what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about. During the middle of his speech, there's like 300 people in the room, a lot of like pastors and and different different people. And the guy rushes the stage stage and begins to uh, hit Martin Luther King Jr. And just, he slugged him in the face and Martin Luther King Jr. flies back and a group of guys got up and hold the guy back. 
Now, at this stage, this guy knows he's in trouble because if they decide to turn on him, it is a bad situation. And Martin Luther King Jr. got up and looked at him. And I'm paraphrasing this story, but I'm not angry at you. You're forgiven. I'm against what's behind you. See, his attitude was, I'm against the spirit. I'm against the forces behind you, but you can't make me hate you, and I won't do it. And they let the guy go, and the guy just was like dumbfounded at this whole thing. And what he was doing is he was putting a force because Martin Luther King Jr. was in charge of who he was. He had taken this charge of walking in these things, and it dumbfounded the enemy. So when Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, he's not saying being a passive wimp because you're too apathetic to stand up for yourself. Let yourself get bullied. It's not about being bullied. See, when you can stand and take a hit and then turn the other cheek and look at that person in the view of how God sees that person, not not the forces behind them, but how God sees that person, that is a great power of love and it strips the enemy of his power. And so I think this is true when we walk in these things, the charge of being long-suffering and to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. It's not about sitting in church and creating our little group that we can just be all kind with each other to only those that we really like. Because if you disagree with us, you got to leave the group so we can keep being kind and tender-hearted. We're dealing with how do I go in the world and live this out because it is the charge that is powerful. It is the thing that breaks the power of the enemy. But I'm telling you, your brain, your old way of thinking is going to say, this ain't going to work, but it does. Even a soldier, when they won the Medal of Honor, Mm -hmm. he said, you will not find hate in our group. No one hated the enemy. We fought for the love of the guy next to us against an enemy that was against us, but we never hated our enemy. And I think that... Mm is a powerful truth. Yeah, they still went to war, but they didn't do it out of hate towards the enemy. They went out at the hate towards the system and the love towards their brother. They went to battle. Right. And so we see those things playing out. But that's when he's saying, put on the new man. But that's a rat. Your, your brain's going to suffer. It's going to suffer a letting go. That's the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is in us. I want you to ponder this. If you don't know the love of the Father... Like, if you don't know how to love someone, that's when we go to the Father. Father, how did you love me? Mm-hmm. I have a hard time forgiving this person. Father, what was it like to forgive me? I have a hard time having mercy with this person. Father, what was it like to have mercy on me? And all of a sudden, if you start letting him, I'm, I'm struggling believing and having faith in your promise. Father, what was it like to have faith in what you were doing in me? And all of a sudden you start seeing his relationship towards you was already being given things and it will begin changing going, wow, that's what you felt like. That's what you did. And all of a sudden you will start seeing what he's already done towards you, his mercy towards you, his forgiveness towards you, his long suffering. That's what changed you. And if that could change you, how much more could it change this person over here? And all of a sudden you will let that start flowing out because that's the father's heart. So again, when we go back to the father That is the critical point. So anything when he's saying put on the new man, it's not in your works. It's going back to him and letting him to reveal what that looks like and taking that new imagery and then walking it out. And just to bring that back to our practical application, whatever that charge is that God's given you as an individual, when you approach it from, okay, Father, 
How would your son handle this? Okay, Father, how would you look at this situation? How would your daughter approach this circumstance that I'm facing here? When you start with that, things become clear because now you are stepping into your identity. You are walking the way Jesus walked. You're walking the way your father always intended you to. So we're going to wrap it up with that for this week. If you guys have any questions, you can leave comments on the podcast. You can find us on Facebook under Outbound Life. You can go to outboundlife.org and see what's going on there. And we will definitely see you next week.